and can be found on page 17 of the Church Bibles. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abraham travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. So you are my sister. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Father, as we gather together in this time and space, we pray that we would give you space and permission to see you. Amen. Uh, Well, as I said earlier, this is National Marriage Week, uh, and it's one of those weeks that um, various community organizations uh, try to put an emphasis on. We've had uh, Christian Aid Week, uh, and there are some other uh, national sort of weeks and focuses that can be really important. Uh, In a couple of weeks' time, did you know it's National Local Radio Station Week? You didn't know that one. Okay, so watch out for that one, and don't be surprised uh, when it hits you. And did you know that earlier on this year was Talk Like a Pirate Day? No, I mean, these things are fantastic. But but here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity for the people of God, the church, uh, to talk about something that that we've got some knowledge about, that we, uh, we think we've got some kind of handle on, we can contribute 
be part of the national uh, discussion and psyche, if you like. Uh, last week, uh, uh, sorry, last night, Catherine and I went to a concert uh, of jazz of sorts. Um, and un unlike a lot of music, <laughs> sorry, it was, it was, it was post-1959 stuff, which if you like jazz, is one thing or the other. Um, unlike a lot of music, though, jazz does tend to sort of have allow different instruments to play for a little bit. Uh, and then the combination of them at the end, hopefully they're all following towards some kind of theme, nominally the title of the song, uh, and then it sort of so, sort of makes sense. It's not like sort of other day about some of the elements in marriage uh, that are important, different elements that sometimes come to the fore, sometimes are really important because they are contributing to the greater path, which is hopefully your marriages. Now, I've also just thought I'd pick, uh, pick on the story of Abraham and Sarai um, in order to just give us something to hang some of these ideas on, to give us a little bit of focus. But I'm mostly going to be talking about six or seven key ideas which the uh, National Marriage Week uh, are promoting. And unless you object by uh, email, I will send you stuff to remind you to think about these things this week. Okay? So it's a really good bank of resources, things for us to be uh, talking about uh, with one another. And, and, and amongst ourselves as well as a church, because there's probably more that we can do uh, for those who are bereaved, those who have chosen to be single, uh, those who are following the Lord, those who are, uh, whose marriages have not worked out. We need to have some of those conversations. Okay, that's important. But first of all, let's look at the first thing, which is on going, going to come if I keep clicking this thing. Maybe not. Okay, let's go for it then. Uh, it did. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Well done. Um, friendship. Ultimately, ultimately, in marriage, we ought to get along and enjoy each other's company. Okay? I hope that's not new to strikes me about the story of Abraham and Sarai, is that they take on this, enjoy, this enormous journey, don't they? If you plotted, if you looked at it on a map, it's kind of basically across the Middle East, but not going the quick way. You know, they go north for a long time, and then they head uh, southwest. It's an enormously long journey uh, with all sorts of adventures and difficulties along the way. You don't manage that sort of thing without some sense of, well, I enjoy their company along the way, don't you? You have a sense of, I'm coming alongside this person because I'm interested in what they're doing. I want to be there with them because I want to be alongside them. They travelled a long way where they had to rely on each other for company. They had to rely on each other for solace. And those things that were going to happen to them were going to be shared together. Those things that happened to them were going to expose how much they cared for one another. We already see at the end of, the first, uh, re at the the end of this reading, uh, Sarai is already uh, potentially in difficulty because of what Abraham suggested uh, she did to sort of save herself or protect her uh, from the wiles of Pharaoh. And it's fair to say sometimes, you know, our sense of adventure and companionship can be brought out of uh, great events in our lives, things that massive holidays or you met on some kind of trek or common interests and tasks that we share, the things that we enjoy doing together. Somebody said, chains don't hold marriages together. It's thread. It's the thread, hundreds and hundreds of tiny threads which sew people together throughout the years it what's make, it's, that's what makes marriages last. More than passion, more than sex. It's those threads 
that just keep you knotted together. I enjoy being with this person doing these things because that's what our, my, our friendship is partly based on. And that's important, that we have those common interests and friendship together. So if we're hard, when, when you can't see the friendship in a relationship, how did that happen? Where is it going? But friendship, something that keeps us together, something that, where we actually enjoy one another's company. We enjoy fooling around or getting it right or whatever it is. It keeps us together. So friendship is one of the key things that holds marriage together. And it would have taken a degree of trust and friendship for Sarai to say, I do not know. I, I, this is the, isn't this the question we want to ask? Abraham, how did you know? How did you know it was the voice of the Lord that told you to disappear off? And how did you convince it there that enabled it to happen? And that's what's important, that they were friends. I want to look at the next thing. I think this, uh, there we go, kindness. <laughs> kindness is important because saying we care means nothing if we don't demonstrate that we care. That's really important. It's, I hope this doesn't sound patronizing because I really don't mean it to, but I think it's really important and I don't want it to be misheard. But we know from the end of the previous chapter that Sarai is barren. Sarah can't have children. And in that ancient, prehistoric, ancient Near East, children and succession and having an heir was the priority. That's the most important thing. And one of the most significant things about this relationship is that Abraham continues and involves and invites Sarai into this relationship, knowing that the key thing that the rest of culture is saying is important isn't likely to happen. He is kind to her. It is more important that she knows she is loved for who she is than that she can produce children, which in that culture at that time was message. To, to, to have. We get a sense later on in chapter 15 that Abraham is kind of, well, how's it going to happen, God? You've made these promises. What's going to happen? But there's never a sense of recrimination. We don't get a sense that there's one having a go at the other. And we don't see Abraham doing what so many other people did in those times. If you fast forward uh, to, to the book of Samuel, we fast forward a little bit in Genesis. We find people taking uh, second wives in order to continue the family line. It's quite a strange world. We can't really access it. But, but what I read from here is that Abraham took Sarah on. And actually, the more, she was more important than the things that were potential, potentially important. And I think that's a, a beautiful act of kindness. It was, it was important that kindness held them together. And he was always, it seems, kind. So it's an important principle to have right. Our principal duty, our principal opportunity, is to actually be kind to one another. There are many things that we want out of a marriage, but the opportunity to know that I was loved and cared for because that person, if you wrote a set of vows 
without any mention of God, you'd put kindness in there, wouldn't you? Hands up, who'd put kindness in there? Right, okay, I'll talk to the others later. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's important. We want it, and kindness isn't always, isn't always easy. It isn't always. It takes on difficult situations, knowing that the out, not knowing what the outcome will be. That's sometimes what kindness is. But it's a quality, as we're going to look at in the next few weeks, it's one of the qualities that God wants to see in his people. So we want to explore that. Can I have the next slide, please? Commitment. Uh, two dung beetles. One of them looks like uh, they're falling off. Uh, marriage is for life, and commitment, therefore, is important because life tests us. In this story, God has made some promises. He's made some enormous promises to Abraham. Your descendants will be like the stars or the sand on the sea. Right? He's, he can't have kids. And then he's going to commit himself to following this promise. It seems impossible. And there were later quite difficult situations as well. He had to rescue Lot, who got himself into trouble. There was a sense of how are we going to manage everything we have. There's a sense of never quite being in the right place. And they lived in a difficult and tumultuous world. There was war. There was famine. There were difficulties. There were people after them. There were people who needed their help. And the fact is that they couldn't have done it on their own. A sense of commitment was important. And it was central, aside from all of that stuff going on around them, what was central was the promise that God had made to them. I will do these things says, look, I will make you into a nation. I will make your name great. I will bless you. That's important. But they held on to those, they, those promises. They took them seriously and committed their lives to those promises. The marriage vows are, are, are sort of, in, 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 they're lovely. They, they're really, they're good. But sometimes they don't quite get to the nitty-gritty as much as you want. And it's important to sometimes hold on to that, that God will be in those marriage promises too. But they were committing themselves to the things that God had clearly uh, given them to do. A lovely expression about um, commitment is described as staying loyal to what you have said you were going to do long after the mood you said it in has left you. I'll say that again. It's staying loyal to watch about visiting your in-laws as it is about remembering to mow the lawn. But it's a general sense, isn't it? If you've said you're going to do something, then you ought to do it. And we know, you know, each time, a sense of, not failure, but as a sense of, I let you down. We didn't quite get the right things done. And it's important uh, to remember that, because our principal conflict and the principal conflict of our age is between work and family, I think. The big challenges for us, particularly younger folk growing up with, family, with young families, is between work and family. How do I balance the two? And however successful we become, and however far we can reach, and, and however much we contribute, those are really important things. But we are still, I am still, no, maybe it's just me, but we are still moved by stories of powerful people who held prestigious positions in important things and walked away because their husband or their wife needed them. 
The person who is able to say, thank you very much, but my wife has looked after me all these years, and now she is ill, and she needs me more than you. And the capacity to get that balance right means a commitment to saying, this is the most important person in the world. And these are the terms under which we got together. And the can we have the next one, please? And I mention those things because it's good, it's good to remember that when we said what we were <laughs> when we don't do what we said we were going to do, we need a sense of we need forgiveness, don't we? When we follow the story of Abraham, um, he does put her in quite an awkward and compromising position. Uh, in the end of the chapter. He's he sort of, yes, okay, you're my sister, and perhaps we can get safe passage through Egypt if we convince Sarah, uh, uh, the Pharaoh that you're some kind of available concubine. That's not a way to treat a wife, I think. Is it? Probably not. No, thank you very much. Good. No, it's not. Turns, turns out, in this poll, it wasn't. Okay, but it's important. So he puts her in a really compromising position. It could have been dangerous. It could have, been, it could have harmed them both. It could have been very difficult. It was difficult. And he put it... And the thing about Abraham is he does it again. You read a few chapters later, they're going through the Negev again, different king, not called Pharaoh, um, called Bimelech, and he tries it on again. He says, look, we're never going to get past it because you're so beautiful and he's so powerful. And he does it again. He puts her on the spot in difficult ways twice. Sarah found herself compromised by Abraham's bad ideas on more than one occasion. And I wonder how many times we've done that. I won't, I won't ask somebody, or it puts them in an awkward position. And actually, I mentioned earlier about Abraham not taking a concubine or a second wife. When the promises don't seem to be fulfillable, when they just seem so far off, and they lose patience, it's Sarah who suggests that Abraham sleep with Hagar, her servant. And this time, her bad idea works. And Abraham's left in a compromised position now. We need to learn about forgiveness. We need to learn that when we get it wrong, things or things don't turn out the way we expected, or they turn out better or worse than we hoped, we let each other down. And we need some kind of way back. And it's no point holding on to I'm right and you're wrong forever. God knows, and he's the one who deals with it overall. He's keeping a scorecard, if you want to think like that. I'm pretty sure that we can balance these things. Unforgiveness, not being able to forgive, is like drinking poison waiting for the other person to die. Think about it. Drinking poison and hoping that somebody else will die as a result because you infest yourself. All of that pain and that hurt remains there. It doesn't influence them in the way that you think it would or hope it would. But the issue, we release them from that burden, we release them from that indebtedness, and we release ourselves from having to feel hurt and carry that burden. And forgiveness is about the most powerful thing in the world. That's why God used it to bring his people back. It's, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's something that we have to hold on to. But if we're, not, if we're going to get through the tough stuff, sometimes the solutions are going to be difficult. They are demanding upon us. But forgiveness is something that we need. Can I have the next one, please, Ian? Uh, intimacy. 
Um, we live in a culture that's obsessed with sex, and somebody once said, actually made the subject boring. Um, it's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating or horrifying, whichever way you look at it, to see just how much we are led by it. And we have these very confusing sets of rules at the moment. You can do these things, but all of these things are okay, but don't do them because they're not okay. We have this very strange culture and a very strange mess uh, in which these people are trying to sort of hold themselves together. And, and it's easy to feel that the whole world is up to stuff that you just haven't got a clue about or have forgotten. One of the things that quite strikes me about this, this story is, is, is later on, in, uh, when he say, forget it, we've been waiting for so long. He doesn't say rubbish, he just says how. There's that, there's that prospect, isn't there? It's somewhere in his thinking is this sense of, okay, well, this is where we're at. And he doesn't rule it out entirely. He doesn't say no. And one of the things that is just, I think, underlying that is that sense of, we're, we, there's a sense of intimacy between them. How do we maintain a sense of intimacy? It's so important to know that you're okay and you're loved for and you're cared for, and it's different for different people. And it's not about matching up with whatever the world is doing or whatever, whatever the latest survey says. It's not about turning sex into a commodity that you must have and add it to your shopping. It's about knowing that you are cared for and nurtured in a way that works for you as a couple. And that's, that's important. But I like that their first response when God says you will have kids is, really? Because we've been together quite a long time now. And they're not ruling it, but they're not ruling it out. Can we have the next one, please, which I think is the last uh, communication. Uh, I think this is probably a poster that should go up at home. Laughed. Remember, Abraham also laughed when God announced that they would have a son. Did you know that? He laughed and he fell to the ground in, in joy, rejoicing that God was going to do something. He was overwhelmed with joy. But when Sarah uh, laughs, she reveals the deep doubts in her heart. She reveals the deep, in, uh, the deep things that, she, that needed to come out. Because all this journey, they've been going along, following this promise, and God hasn't yet produced the goods, or they haven't, or he hasn't helped them. And, yet the, and so this doubt comes out when she laughs. It's a different kind of laugh. In the Hebrew, it's kind of scoffing uh, at what might be possible, whereas Abraham is kind of, wow, really? And he's hilarious about it. And it's difficult to be united when you've got such different views about such big things, isn't it? And here we are, we've been promising, we've been following this promise, we've been following this, these things that you say God has said to us, and none of it's happened yet, and I'm starting to have doubts. And they're not going to be an effective couple, they're not going to be an effective marriage if those doubts aren't expressed, if they're not able to be able to say, you know what, I'm not sure, well, I can't see how that's going to happen, or I'm so tired of you banging on about what may happen, because it hasn't shown up yet. I haven't quite got where you are yet. And there's that gap, isn't there, which couples, we need, to, we need to be able to say, I don't get it. I'm not sure. Those are such powerful things, aren't they? They're the signs of a strong relationship. They're signs of strong marriage. People who can be intimate, not just physically at a level that works for them, but actually emotionally at a level that works for them. Can we have the next one, please? <laughs> 
Um, really important, and this stuff is on the resource, is on the website resources. It's really worth reading and listening to some of the testimonies and teaching on there this week. I think it'd be good to commit to listen to one of these each night. Um, but being curious is better than being critical. And being careful is better than crushing people. And asking things rather than assuming things, gosh, how would that work out in life? Asking stuff rather than assuming it is, is, is so important. And connecting with somebody before you stand up and say, well, you got that wrong. Really important. Four simple little rules about how we communicate. Uh, on Friday, I was driving back from Waterlooville. And I was just heading down, I think, the end of the A3. In, and I could see it. I haven't got a very fast car. So in the, in the, in the, somewhere in the, ahead of me in the lane were two little butterflies, the, the kind of greeny-yellowy kind. And they were dancing, you know, or, or flying around each other. And I thought, I'm going to hit them. <laughs> and, I'm, and, I, and the view mirror, these two very sad little butterflies fall to the road behind me. And I thought I had ruined a terrible moment. What a heel I am. But actually, if you, could, and if, you could just, if you could just swerve out, I would have avoided it, I'm sure. But we need to say, actually, if that thing, you're all going, oh, that's because relationships are precious and, and important. And if we can do something to save them, then we ought. If we, ought, if we can do something to build them up, then we should. If there's something we can do to bolster uh, and, and maybe fix something that isn't where it should be, then it's good to. And this week's resources and today is about just encouraging you to go down that road and have a look at those things and say, yeah, where are we? What are we how do we dance? How well do we dance? And it's important. Recent no-fault divorce laws make it, more import, make it important that people are good communicators because the emphasis is now on what one side believes they were not getting out of the relationship. The brilliant thing about marriage, about the brilliant thing about what God's thinking about marriage is, is that you get to be the person your other half needs. You get to be the person who can show God's kindness to them, who can show God's forgiveness to them, who can be compassionate and a friend and a companion to them. You get And the purpose of God creating marriage in this way, to have a couple who were so solid, was that they would build around them a community for everybody who wanted to know about God. And what we see is that Abraham and Sarah, through their marriage, built a community around them. And in that group of people around them were people who had lost, people who had never married, people who were struggling with marriage, people who had made mistakes, people who had, things had not worked out for them. And it included those people. When you look in detail at the life that Abraham had and the people around him and the people that he met, their marriage was a building block for people to come to know God. He started, didn't he, by being a person who people knew called upon the Lord. It didn't stop them coming to, help for, to, to him for help, for work, for advice, to be rescued. And that's important, that a good marriage has around it a, a community of people who need that, who need to know that they can be loved and cared for. We too, perhaps in different ways, but we don't exist in a vacuum, and we should bless people around them. We should remember those for whom God made them the person for somebody who's now gone. The privilege that has, but the gaps it creates. For those who have chosen not to marry, 
These are discussions that would be good for us to have. And in a church that is largely in a sandwich generation uh, with folk who have to uh, dash off for uh, uh, parents who are unwell and, and also worry about children who are just starting out, yeah, we've got some, you know, we need to be a strong core in able to have that sort of uh, relationship around us, those sorts of things going on. But we do so because of God's commitment to us. What this story shows is that God was committed to the people that he had made committed to one another. And he was committed to the people that they found. And we are those people. Because we're blessed through that family. We're blessed through that marriage. We're part of those nations, those sands, grains of sand and the stars in the sky that God said to Abraham, you won't be able to count them, but here are some of them. And so we should give thanks to God that he works his plans out, however we are. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for our marriages, for shared laughter and tears, uh, for the strength in our weakness, and enough for life every day. We thank you for the gifts we bring to each other in this church. We pray you'll bless all of us as we seek to grow together in love through all that life then. And we're just going to have a time of confession before we come to communion. <laughs> I confess I look like a finger puppet. Let's pray. Let's just think about what are we going to take, what are we going to leave here at the cross, and what are we going to take home? Most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that we have sinned in thought and word and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, Forgive what we have been. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be, that we may do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, our God. Amen. Almighty God, who forgives all who truly repent, have mercy upon us, pardon and deliver us from all our sins, confirm and strengthen us in all goodness, and keep us in life eternal, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I believe, I've lost my, th I've lost my thread, I don't know what I'm doing now. <laughs>